Good evening, and welcome to Mendocino Theatre Company's Reading on the Radio. I'm Pamela Allen, Mendocino Theatre Company's Executive Director, and tonight we're excited to present a comedy called The Twelve Pound Look by Sir James M. Barry. As most of you probably know, J.M. Barry is most famous for his play Peter Pan, which has also been turned into a novel, a movie, and many, many productions. With me tonight is the director of our reading, Lori LaPaul. Hi, Pamela. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's lovely to be here. I'm going to read you a little blurb from the 1922 introduction by E. Roland Lewis to the play The Twelve Pound Look. Barry was rated as one of the foremost English dramatists of the day. His plays taken together made the most significant contribution to English drama, probably since Sheridan. Practically his entire life had been given to the writing of novels and plays. He was born in Kiramuir, Scotland, forgive me if I said that wrong, in 1860. He's considered to be a great playwright because he was so thoroughly human. All the little whimsicalities, sentiments, little loves, and heart longings of human beings are always present in his plays. He was not a reformer or a propagandist. His appeal was to the emotions rather than to the intellect. He excelled in the romantic tradition of English drama and gave us plays that are wholesome, tender, and human. And with all this, he has the added saving grace of absorbing humor. While Barry is not a devotee of the well-made play, his The Twelve Pound Look is one of the most nearly perfect one-act plays of contemporary drama. His interest in human personalities is not more manifest in any of his plays than in the characters of Lady Sims and Sir Harry Sims. Tonight's performance features Dan Kozlov as Sir Harry Sims, Susan Mader as Lady Sims, Laura Pinu as Kate, Ken Krauss as Tombs. It is narrated by Lori LaPaul, with sound design and production by Ken Krauss. And now, without further ado, The Twelve Pound Look by J.M. Barry, directed by Lori LaPaul. If quite convenient, as they say about checks, you are to conceive that the scene is laid in your own house and that Harry Sims is you. Perhaps the ornamentation of the house is a trifle ostentatious, but if you cavil at that, we are willing to redecorate. You don't get out of being Harry Sims on a mere matter of plush and dados. It pleases us to make him a city man, but rather than lose you, he can be turned with a scrape of the pen into a KC, fashionable doctor, secretary of state, or what you will. We conceive him of a pleasant rotundity with a thick red neck, but we shall waive that point if you know him to be thin. It is that day in your career when everything went wrong, just when everything seemed to be superlatively right. In Harry's case, it was a woman who did the mischief. She came to him in his great hour and told him she did not admire him. Of course, he turned her out of the house and was soon himself again, but it spoiled the morning for him. This is the subject of the play, and quite enough, too. Harry is to receive the honor of knighthood in a few days, and we discover him in the sumptuous snuggery 
of his home in Kensington, or is it Westminster, rehearsing the ceremony with his wife. They have been at it all the morning, a pleasing occupation. Mrs. Sims, as we may call her for the last time as it were, and strictly as a good-natured joke, is wearing her presentation gown and personates the august one who is about to dub her hairy knight. She is seated regally. Her jeweled shoulders proclaim aloud her husband's generosity. She must be an extraordinarily proud and happy woman, yet she has a drawn face and shrinking ways, as if there were someone near her of whom she is afraid. She claps her hands as a signal to Harry. He enters bowing and with a graceful swerve of the leg. He is only partly in costume, the sword and the real stockings not having arrived yet. With a gliding motion that is only delayed while one leg makes up on the other, he reaches his wife and going on one knee, raises her hand superbly to his lips. She taps him on the shoulder with a paper knife and says huskily, rise, Sir Harry. He rises, bows, and glides about the room, going on his knees to various articles of furniture, and rises from each a knight. It is a radiant domestic scene, and Harry is as dignified as if he knew that royalty was rehearsing it at the other end. Did that seem all right, eh? I think perfect. But was it dignified? Oh, very. And it will be still more so when you have the sword. The sword will lend it an air. There are really the five moments. The glide, the dip, the kiss, the tap, and you back out a knight. It's short, but it's a very beautiful ceremony. Uh, anything you can suggest? No, no. Oh, no. You don't think you have practiced till you know what to do almost too well? I do not. Don't talk nonsense. Wait till your opinion is asked for. I'm sorry, Harry. The Flora Typewriting Agency. Oh, yes. I telephoned them to send someone. A woman, I suppose, Toombs? Yes, Sir Harry. Show her in here. And Toombs, strictly speaking, you know, I am not Sir Harry till Thursday. Beg pardon, sir, but it is such a satisfaction to us. Ah, they like it downstairs, do they? Especially the female, Sir Harry. Exactly. You can show her in, Tombs. Uh, you can tell the woman what she has wanted for, Emmy, while I change. You can tell her the sort of things about me that will come better from you. You heard what Tombs said, especially the females, and he is right. Success. The women like it even better than the men, and rightly, for they share. You share, Lady Sims. Not a woman will see that gown without being sick with envy of it. I know them. Have all our lady friends in to see it. It will make them ill for a week. Harry exits. A typist enters. Good morning, madam. Good morning. Is that the typewriting machine? Yes. I suppose if I am to work here, I may take my hat off. I get on better without it. Certainly. I ought to apologize for my gown. 
I'm to be presented this week and I was trying it on. It is beautiful, if I may presume to say so. It is, yes, very beautiful. Uh, sit down, please. I suppose it is some copying you want done. I got no particulars. I was told to come to this address, but that was all. Oh, it, it's not work for me. It is for my husband. And what he needs is not exactly copying. He wants a number of letters answered, not hundreds of them, letters and telegrams of congratulations. Yes. Um, my husband is a remarkable man. He's about to be knighted. He is to be knighted for his services to, uh, for his services. He can explain it so much better than I can. And I am to answer the congratulations? Yes. It is work I have had some experience of. But you can't begin till you know what he wants to say. Only a specimen letter. Won't it be the usual thing? Uh, is there a usual thing? Oh, yes. How quickly you do it. It must be delightful to be able to do something and to do it well. Yes, it is delightful. But excuse me, I don't think that will be any use. My husband wants me to explain to you that his is an exceptional case. He did not try to get this honor in any way. It was a complete surprise to him. That is what I have written. But how could you know? I only guessed. Is that the usual thing? Oh, yes. They don't try to get it? I don't know. That is what we are told to say in the letters. I should explain that my husband is not a man who cares for honors. So long as he does his duty. Yes, I have been putting that in. Have you? But he particularly wants it to be known that he would have declined a title were it not. I have got it here. What have you got? Indeed, I would have asked to be allowed to decline had it not been that I want to please my wife. But how could you know it was that? Is it? Do they all accept it for that reason? That is what we are told to say in the letters. It's quite as if you knew my husband. I assure you, I don't even know his name. Oh, he wouldn't like that. Harry re-enters. This is the lady, Harry. Yes, yes. Uh, good morning, my dear. I've been trying to explain to her. Uh, what? Uh, leave it to me, Emmy. I'll attend to her. You. Yes, it's funny. The shamelessness of your daring to come here. Believe me, it is not less a surprise to me than it is to you. I was sent here in the ordinary way of business. I was given only the number of the house. I was not told the name. The ordinary way of business. This is what you have fallen to. A typist. Think of it. After going through worse straits, I'll be bound. Much worse straits. <laughs> My congratulations. Thank you, Harry. Uh, what was that you called me, madam? Oh, isn't it Harry? On my soul, I almost forget. It isn't Harry to you. My name is Sims, if you please. Yes, I had not forgotten that. It was my name too, you see. It was your name till you forfeited the right to bear it. Exactly. I was furious to find you here, but on second thoughts, it pleases me. 
there is a grim justice in this. Tell me. Do you know what you were brought here to do? I have just been learning. You've been made a knight, and I was summoned to answer the messages of congratulation. That's it. That's it. You come on this day as my servant. I, who might have been Lady Sims. And you are her typist instead. And she has four men servants. Oh, I'm glad you saw her in her presentation gown. I wonder if she would let me do her washing, Sir Harry. You can go. The mere thought that only a few flights of stairs separate such as you from my innocent children. You have children? Two. Such a nice number. Both boys. Successful in everything. Are they like you, Sir Harry? They are very like me. That's nice. Will you please to go? Hey-ho, what shall I say to my employer? That is no affair of mine. What will you say to Lady Sims? I flatter myself that whatever I say, Lady Sims will accept without comment. Still the same, Harry. What do you mean? Only that you have the old confidence in your profound knowledge of the sex. I suppose I know my wife. I suppose so. I was only remembering that you used to think you knew her in the days when I was the lady. Well, goodbye, Sir Harry. Won't you ring and the four men servants will show me out? As you are here, there is something I want to get out of you. Tell me, who was the man? You never found out? I could never be sure. I thought that would worry you. It's plain that he soon left you. Very soon. As I could have told you. Who was he? It was 14 years ago and cannot matter to any of us now. Kate, tell me who he was. Better not ask. I do ask. Tell me. It is kinder not to tell you. Then, by James, it was one of my own pals. Was it Bernard Roche? No. It may have been someone who comes to my house still. I think not. 14 years. You found my letter that night when you went home? Yes. I propped it against the decanters. I thought you would be sure to see it there. It was a room not unlike this, and the furniture was arranged in the same attractive way. How it all comes back to me. Don't you see me, Harry, in hat and cloak, putting the letter there, taking a last look round, and then stealing out into the night to meet? Whom? Him. Hours pass, no sound in the room but the tick-tack of the clock. And then, about midnight, you return alone. You take- I wasn't alone. No? Oh, here have I all these years been conceiving it wrongly. I believe something interesting happened. Something confoundedly annoying. Do tell me. We won't go into that. Who was the man? Surely a husband has a right to know with whom his wife bolted. Surely the wife has a right to know how he took it. A fair exchange. You tell me what happened, and I will tell you who he was. You will? Very well. Harry takes a place beside her on the fire seat. Quite like old times. He moves away indignantly. Go on, Harry. Well, as you know, I was dining at the club that night. Yes. Jack Lamb drove me home. Mabbitt Green was with us, and I asked them to come in for a few minutes. Jack Lamb? Mabbitt Green? I think I remember them. Jack was in the Parliament. No, that was Mabbitt. They came into the house with me, and 
Was it him? Who? Mabbit? What? The man. What man? Oh, no. I thought you said he came into the house with you. It might have been a blind. Well, it wasn't. Go on. They came in to finish a talk we had been having at the club. An interesting talk, evidently. The papers had been full that evening of the elopement of some countess woman with a fiddler. What was her name? Does it matter? No. We had been discussing the thing, and I had been rather warm. Oh, I begin to see. You had been saying it served the husband right that the man who could not look after his wife deserved to lose her. It was one of your favorite subjects. Oh, Harry, say it was that. It may have been something like that. And all the time the letter was there waiting, and none of you knew except the clock. Harry, it is sweet of you to tell me. I forget what I said precisely in the letter. So do I. But I have it still. Do let me see it again. You are welcome to it as a gift. Yes, this is it. Harry, how you did crumple it. Dear husband, I call you that for the last time. I am off. I am what you call making a bolt of it. I won't try to excuse myself, nor to explain, for you would not accept the excuses nor understand the explanation. It will be a little shock to you, but only to your pride. What will astound you is that any woman could be such a fool as to leave such a man as you. I am taking nothing with me that belongs to you. May you be very happy. Your ungrateful Kate. P.S. You need not try to find out who he is. You will try, but you won't succeed. I may really have it for my very own. You really may. If you would care for a typed copy. None of your sauce. I had to let them see it in the end. I can picture Jack Lamb eating it. A penniless parson's daughter. That is all I was. We searched for the two of you, high and low. Private detectives? They couldn't get on the track of you. No. But at last the courts let me serve the papers by advertisement on a man unknown, and I got my freedom. So I saw. It was the last I heard of you. And I married again just as soon as ever I could. They say... That is always a compliment to the first wife. I showed them. You soon let them see that if one woman was a fool, you still had the pick of the basket to choose from. By James, I did. But still, you wondered who he was. I suspected everybody, even my pals. I felt like jumping at their throats and crying, it's you. You had been so admirable to me. An instinct told you that I was sure to choose another of the same. I thought... It can't be money, so it must be looks, some dolly face. He must have had something wonderful about him to make you willing to give up all that you had with me. Poor Harry. And it, it couldn't have been going on for long, for I would have noticed the change in you. Would you? I knew you so well. You amazing man. So who was he? Out with it. You are determined to know. Your promise. You gave me your word. <sighs> if I must. I am sorry I promised. There was no one, Harry. No one at all. If you think you can play with me... I told you that you wouldn't like it. It is unbelievable. I suppose it is, but it is true. Your letter itself gives you the lie. That was intentional. I saw that if the truth were known, you might have difficulty in getting your freedom, and as I was getting mine, it seemed fair that you should have yours also. 
So I wrote my goodbye in words that would be taken to mean what you thought they meant and knew the law would back you in your opinion. For the law, like you, Harry, has a profound understanding of women. I don't believe you yet. Perhaps that is the best way to take it. It is less unflattering than the truth. But you were the only one. You sufficed. Then what mad impulse? It was no impulse, Harry. I had thought it out for a year. A year? One would think to hear you that I hadn't been a good husband to you. You were a good husband, according to your lights. I think so. And a moral man, and chatty, and quite the philanthropist. All women envied you. How you loved me to be envied. I swaddled you in luxury. That was it. What? How you beamed at me when I sat at the head of your fat dinners and my fat jewelry, surrounded by our fat friends. They weren't so fat. All except those who were so thin. Have you ever noticed, Harry, that many jewels make women either incredibly fat or incredibly thin? I have not. We had the most interesting society of the day. It wasn't only businessmen. There were politicians, painters, writers. Only the glorious, dazzling successes. Oh, the fat talk while we ate too much about who had made a hit and who was slipping back and what the new house cost and the new motor and the gold soup plates and who was to be the new knight. Was anybody getting on better than me and consequently you? Consequently me? Oh, Harry, you and your sublime religion. My religion? I never was one to talk about religion, but... Pooh, Harry, you don't even know what your religion was, and is, and will be till the day of your expensive funeral. One's religion is whatever he is most interested in, and yours is success. You are not saying that you left me because of my success? Yes. That was it. I couldn't endure it. If a failure had come now and then, but your success was suffocating me. The passionate craving I had to be done with it. To find myself among people who had not got on. There are plenty of them. There were none in our set. When they began to go downhill, they rolled out of our sight. I tell you, I am worth a quarter of a million. That is what you are worth to yourself. I'll tell you what you are worth to me. Exactly 12 pounds. For I made up my mind that I could launch myself on the world alone if I first proved my mettle by earning 12 pounds. And as soon as I had earned it, I left you. 12 pounds. That is your value to a woman. If she can't make it, she has to stick to you. You valued me at more than that when you married me. Ah, I didn't know you then. If only you'd been a man, Harry. A man? What do you mean by a man? Haven't you heard of them? They are something fine. And every woman is loath to admit to herself that her husband is not one. When she marries, even though she has been a very trivial person, there is in her some vague stirring toward a worthy life, as well as a fear of her capacity for evil. She knows her chances lie in him. If there is something good in him, what is good in her finds it, and they join forces against the baser parts. So I, I didn't give you up willingly, Harry. I invented all sorts of theories to explain you, 
your hardness, I, I said it was a fine want of mawkishness. Your coarseness, I said it goes with strength. Your contempt for the weak, I called it virility. Your want of ideals was clear-sightedness. Your ignoble view of women, I tried to think them funny. Oh, I clung to you to save myself, but I had to let go. You had only the one quality, Harry, success. You had it so strong that it swallowed all the others. How did you earn that 12 pounds? It took me nearly six months, but I earned it fairly. She presses her hand on the typewriter lovingly. I learned this. I hired it and taught myself. I got some work through a friend and with my first 12 pounds, I paid for my machine. Then I considered that I was free to go and I went. All this going on in my house while you were living in the lap of luxury. By God, you were determined. By God, I was. How you must have hated me. Not a bit. After I saw that there was a way out, from that hour, you amused me, Harry. I was even sorry for you, for I saw that you couldn't help yourself. Success is just a fatal gift. Oh, thank you. Yes, and some of your most successful friends knew it. One or two of them used to look very sad at times, as if they thought they might have come to something if they hadn't got on. The battered crew you live among now, what are they but folk who have tried to succeed and failed? That's it. They try, but they fail. And always will fail. Always. Poor souls, I say of them. Poor soul, they say of me. It keeps us human. That is why I never tire of them. Oh, Kate, I tell you, I'll be worth half a million yet. I'm sure you will. You're getting stout, Harry. No, I'm not. What was the name of that fat old fellow who used to fall asleep at our dinner parties? If you mean Sir William Crackley. That was the man. Sir William was to me a perfect picture of the grand success. He had got on so well that he was very, very stout. And when he sat on a chair, it was thus, his hands on his belly, as if he were holding his success together. That's what you're working for, Harry. You will have that and the half million about the same time. Will you please to leave my house? But don't let us part in anger. How do you think I'm looking, Harry, compared to the dull, inert thing that used to roll around in your padded carriages? I forget what you were like. I'm very sure you never could have held a candle to the present Lady Sims. That is a picture of her, is it not? In her wedding gown, painted by an RA. A knight? Yes. It is a very pretty face. Acknowledged to be a beauty everywhere. There's a merry look in her eyes, and character in the chin. Noted for her wit. All her life before her when that was painted. It is a spirituelle face too. Oh, Harry, you brute. Huh? What? That dear creature capable of becoming a noble wife and mother. She is the spiritless woman of no account that I saw here a few minutes ago. I forgive you for myself, for I escaped, but that poor lost soul, oh, Harry, Harry. I'll thank you. If ever there was a woman proud of her husband and happy in her married life, that woman is Lady Sims. I wonder. Then you needn't wonder. If I was a husband, it is my advice to all of them. 
I would often watch my wife quietly to see whether the 12 pound look was not coming into her eyes. Two boys, did you say, and both like you? What is that to you? I was only thinking that somewhere there are two little girls who, when they grow up, the dear pretty girls who are all meant for the men that don't get on. Well, goodbye, Sir Harry. Say first that you're sorry. For what? That you left me. Say you regret it bitterly. You know you do. You have spoiled the day for me. I am sorry for that. But it is only a pinprick, Harry. I suppose it is a little jarring in the moment of your triumph to find that there is one old friend who does not think you are a success, but you will soon forget it. Who cares what a typist thinks? Nobody. A typist at 18 shillings a week. Not a bit of it, Harry. I double that. Magnificent. May I come in? It is Lady Sims. I won't tell. She is afraid to come into her husband's room without knocking? She is not. Come in, dearest. Dearest comes in, carrying the sword. Harry, the sword has come. Oh, all right. But I thought you were so eager to practice with it. Put it down. It is a beautiful sword, if I may say so. Yes. Uh, Emmy, the one thing your neck needs is more jewels. More? Some ropes of pearls. I'll see to it. It's a bagatelle to me. I won't detain you any longer, miss. Thank you. Going already? You've been very quick. The person doesn't suit, Jenny. I'm sorry. So am I, madam, but it can't be helped. Goodbye, your ladyship. Goodbye, Sir Harry. He is escorted off the premises by tunes. She seemed such a capable woman. I don't like her style at all. Of course, you know best. Lord, how she winced when I said I was to give you those ropes of pearls. Did she? I didn't notice. I suppose so. Suppose? Surely I know enough about women to know that. Yes. Oh, yes. Emmy, I, I know you well, don't I? I can read you like a book, eh? Yes, Harry. What a different existence yours is from that poor lonely wretch's. Yes, but she has a very contented face. All put on. What? I didn't say anything. One would think you envied her. Envied? Oh, no. But I thought she looked so alive. It was while she was working the machine. Alive? That's no life. It is you that are alive. I'm busy, Emmy. I'm sorry. I'll go, Harry. Are, are they very expensive? What? Those machines? <laughs> Thank you.
You have been listening to Mendocino Theatre Company's reading of The Twelve Pound Look by J.M. Barry, featuring Dan Kozlov, Susan Mader, Laura Pinyu, Ken Krause, and Lori LaPaul, with sound design and production by Ken Krause, directed by Lori LaPaul. We do hope that you'll come to see our next production on the stage at the Mendocino Theatre Company, Lockdown, a very timely youth production opening June 23rd and running through June 26th. And next up will be Jen Silverman's The Moors, a deliciously dark and thoroughly modern comedy opening July 21st. That production is directed by Roxy Seven. For more information, go to mendocinotheater.org or email us at mtc at mcn.org. We're so grateful to KZYX for giving us this opportunity to bring this reading series to you. Our next reading is on September 29th at 7 p.m. Thanks so much for listening. Good night. Good night.